be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, hello and welcome to The Visual Workplace. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak, and I'm really glad you came. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of letting the workplace speak, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices, through visual systems, through visual solutions. And why do we do that? We do that so we can work with focus and precision, the highest possible safety, with pace, high quality, completeness. We work like that. We work through visuality so that our companies can make a great profit margin, an increasingly great profit margin, and so that we can enjoy ourselves along the way, so we can enjoy ourselves at work. We can have a sense of flow and our own completeness, our own accuracy, our own mastery of our work. We let the workplace speak and it talks back to us and it gives us guidance. It gives us precision. And we've designed the workplace to do that through workplace visuality. So welcome. I'm glad that we're going to have another conversation today. And today happens to be the final show in our Smart Simple Design series, we've done five, six shows. We are going to have one more show where we we will invite Eric Lal back to have a live show so that you can call in with your questions. We think that's going to be some time in December. And the reason for that our schedule is because our schedules are a mess. They're a mess. They're a mess. They're a mess. And so we can't get them to work out. And uh, we're going to have to wait a little while. I hope you remember and we'll make that announcement. If you aren't on our mailing list to get our weekly announcements about both what is in the show and also with all the links to the podcast, just send your email in to radio at visualworkplace.com and we'll put you on our list and then you'll be up to speed and you'll also have a kind of archive of all of our shows. They are available at no cost whatsoever from iTunes. And you know, we just began our second year with you. So there's like 50, 55 shows now, and um, and we think that they're useful. So, uh, and I do want to tell you that after today, beginning uh, next week, I'm going to resume 
our conversation about workplace visuality. And I'm going to begin with giving you a kind of profile of what I do when I go on site and do an assessment, a visual site assessment. I'm pretty sure this is going to be two shows because uh, there is a pretty good deal to share about that. I have a particular approach, and I think that if you uh, want to be able to understand how visuality uh, works, that being able to do a strong and useful site assessment, looking at your own site or someone else's site, is going to be just just what's needed for you to see how these principles apply. I'm going to talk about what you can see and also about how you need to see what you can't, cannot see, what is there and what is not there. So I hope you tune in. Thank you. So today we're going to start on this final kind of uh, informational show about Smart Simple Design, which, as you know, is about decomplicating the organization, decomplicating your product and also your marketing architecture in order to simplify the organization and maximize customer's choice. So we're never giving up on customer's choice, customer variety, but we're looking at the internal variety of the organization the kind that is pulled, pardon me, the kind that is pushed by your organizational complexity and your policies and not pulled by the customer. Remember, customer pulled variety is positive, it's positive variety. It will cost, but you've got somebody who wants it. And internally pushed variety is negative and it costs you and you can't recover from that cost. That's just cost. You're going to lay it on your your suppliers, you're going to lay it on your customers, and it's just going to bring you down. It's a problem. I want to begin by um, saying that the goal isn't just to get more customers. The goal is also to get more profitable. Okay, It's that profit, profit margin that is the horizon. We want to see that margin expand. And that's why we do all kinds of waste reduction strategy. And I also want to repeat that in my view, because this happens to be the first book that I wrote back in 1993-94. It's called Smart Simple Design. And because of my understanding of it, when I started getting more involved in what was called then JIT and also visual, lean and visual, I really understood that lean and visual are coping mechanisms. They are mechanisms for coping with the variety, the positive variety. So they're going to be useful in that regard, but also the negative variety in your organization. They're coping mechanisms. Let me read a quote from Richard Schoenberger, who's one of my heroes, from his book called Building a Chain of Customers. And he writes, which comes first, the product or the customer? The answer is, he says, it's a bad question. Separating product development from customer Customer relations, customer choice means trouble. Designers pursue their own fancies, leaving operations and sales in a panic over how to provide and sell it when we separate the two. So we want to, we want to start joining all of the functions in the organization. This is me speaking now in order to get a really great product, a really great service at the minimum cost, what I like to call and what I've heard the Japanese call the least cost means. The least cost means. 
you know, sometimes these tightening, these cost reductions can be absolutely dazzling. For example, there was a NCR electronic cash register that was developed and it only had 15 purchase parts down from 110 in the previous model. It was a push and snap assembly because the cash register was designed with zero screws and zero fasteners and in fact the product had so few parts that the engineer who developed it and his team could assemble it blindfolded folded it took them about 2 minutes blindfolded okay it was that easy so that's very very interesting isn't it that designers can with their awareness of both the assembly process and effective variety can do really breakthrough designs that are perhaps going to deliver new functionality to your customer but will cost so little to assemble. All of that happens at the design stage. But today when we talk about what we're going to be talking about in this show is the methodology because I've been you know, for the last four or five shows, tell you how bad it is and uh, how complex it is and how messy it is. But today I want to give you an outline of the methodology so you understand several things. But one of the most important things to understand is that it is entirely an organization-wide change, not just designers, not just assembly, not just marketing, not just administration, but all of those things, and in fact, and more. And it is also systematic. (laughs) There's going to be resistance to this kind of change, to decomplicating the organization. Because, you know, after decades of product expansion or market expansion and building the skills to manage the ensuing complexity, managers and us, we rarely welcome the notion of disentangling that web that we have so carefully woven to manage and to cope and to deal with the huge parts inventory or even the, the huge marketing inventory hidden beneath it. Okay? So it's a heck of a lot of work. And is it worth it? Well, we know that in Japan, if market, if car makers could cut their parts cost by just 3%, they would triple their industry operating profits. Cut parts by 3%, triple your operating profits. Sounds like a pretty good equation to me. So dismantling organizational, because we're talking system-wide, organizational complexity so that the customer has greater selection also means that we have to reduce negative variety. This is a challenge of the first order. You need to be equipped with a systematic, powerful, thorough methodology that will root out the full range of causes and build in those new positive practices and keep the horizon, the vision very clear. So the method that I've developed, that I developed in writing this book and working with the several companies uh, that I was working with in the three or four years preceding the writing of my book is called VEP or Variety Effectiveness Process. It's very systematic. And I'm going to just kind of map out the four stages so you get the big picture. But if you were to define the variety effectiveness process, it's systematic team-based methodology. 
It's directed at maintaining or expanding customer selection while reducing negative variety in parts, processes, marketing, control points, and preventing their future reoccurrence. Okay? So you want to root them out, but you all want to make sure they don't come back. Not even for a visit. Not even for a hello. <laughs> its goal, this the goal of the process, of the VEP process, is to lower costs dramatically and decomplicate systems while maximizing a customer. Uh, the company's, your company's ability to respond successfully to the demands of your market. And there are three big, there are four big chunks. First, you prepare. You get people and information and, and the organization ready to interact in a meaningful, cooperative way. There are very specific steps in that. And secondly, you identify valid reduction opportunities. You apply something that I call the six tools. We will hit upon those. I think we'll have time. And then you coordinate, stage three is you coordinate and prioritize the reduction opportunities that you identified in the so-called analysis stage, which is your stage two, and then you implement and sustain the change. That's pretty known technology in terms of change. But I want to say to you, to begin this thing, even before you can begin to look at your part, your product, you've got to get that classification system in order. We spent a whole show on this about a month ago about the big, bungling, bulging classification system, the one with all of the problems in it. You've got to work on that first because people are going to do their analysis based on what doesn't work in that system and you you need to know where that system is lying to you or taking you down the wrong direction. So I want to map out this methodology for you. Hopefully you'll find some things that you can do or it'll make sense in an important way so that you might consider taking this on. By the way, my book is going to be republished in December. Um, my editor is working on it now. and We're going to put it in Kindle and also on Amazon uh, On Demand. So you'll be able to get it. We're going to update some parts of it and probably ask some luminary to write a preface to it that brings it up to, um, to this um, to this century, actually. It was written in 1994. But, you know, I've been living with this book for about six weeks now revisiting it and it's really got some really great stuff in it and it's there to help you it's there to help you so uh, we're going into a break now as soon as we get back uh, we will start walking you through some of these steps I'm really glad you came see you in a minute when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, Visual Edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. 
Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi there. <laughs> Hi there. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm back, and, I, and so are you. Thank you for coming back. We are going through the Smart Symbol Design methodology. This will be our last, what I call, tutorial on smart simple design unless there is a rousing a call for more from you we've been getting some lovely emails but if there's more interest in going into uh, a great deal more detail we'll do that of course what we talked about right before the break was um, marching through the methodology so you could get a, a sense of of both that this is a very systematic approach, but it is also comprehensive. It, it involves all functions in the organization. And I uh, mapped out the first four, the four stages, and I want to say that these four stages, the one that I the ones that I mentioned before about getting ready and doing the analysis and getting the focus, et cetera, et cetera, that the, the four, this four stage approach is designed to help you assess your company's true capacity for change and mobilize those needed resources and also to walk you through a change pattern that systematically turns over the assortment of rocks under which negative variety hides. That's the analysis stage. And then to separate valid, valid reduction proposals into ones that are that have low resistance to change so you can implement them immediately and in the short term and those that require a deeper um, stratum of support and planning to bring them into effect. And then also you move through that process successfully and then you track and sustain the benefits. So, so one of the first things that you ask yourself when you begin this kind of approach, because it seems so massive, is what is the scope? And you need to make a decision about the scope, and I want to offer you two things to think about. One, it, it, you know, it's going to be such a commitment of company resources and the change that follows. You can go one of two ways. You can do what we call the select approach or you can do the deep dive. And the select approach, uh, in, in broad stroke, it's focused, you're focusing on winning some battles against negative variety, but not necessarily the war. You want to kind of validate that this is a process that will actually create great benefit. And so you focus on, you focus rather narrowly a single implementation cycle that will take you anywhere from two to six months to complete depending on a number of factors and you're looking at one product or you might be looking at the marketing of one product. I think I mentioned to you a number of uh, 
shows ago that uh, one of the groups that did this made air conditioners and they made air conditioners that their customers were a distribution network, you know, like Kmart, uh, Walmart, Home Depot. And they had such confusion in their naming architecture for marketing that they spent almost a year actually working through that and finally getting it down into a coherent system of offerings and uh, market names. And it was really, really worth it. They did not focus on the construction or the assembly, the parts or product architecture, but they looked at the marketing architecture. Okay, so the select approach is perfectly valid, especially if you are faced with limited company resources and you focus on a product and you begin to make these reductions. If it goes well, you take another product. Because remember that you're also looking for the impact of policy upgrades and revisions, and you're also going to be looking at production processes, a kind of streamlining or um, a reduction there, a shrinkage there. It's low profile, and um, and the company can take a kind of wait-and-see approach before mounting uh, an all-out commitment to VEP. And the second way of doing it is deep dive. This is an all-out attack on negative variety. You embrace variety effectiveness as a corporate vision. And VEP, for example, I know of no other technology, VEP as a company-wide strategy to affect it. And you create a structure that will enable the entire organization to learn this, to achieve the dramatic reductions. You will always begin with a small cycle in order to learn yourself how VEP or how this reduction works. But then your intention will be to spread it and spread it widely. Okay, What you're looking for, again, it remains always the same. The goal is to lower costs and complexity dramatically, directing all expenditures at a single source of cost. Least cost means a single source of cost. You're directing your attention to that, that is your goal. It's a theoretical goal, but it will really force you to look at everything. You know, and I, I remember a um, an announcement from someone, from a, a CEO who kicked this off on a company-wide level. And I'm just going to uh, read you a few lines from his memo. He said, last month, the entire management team met, and we realized that our parts inventory was continuing to explode and it had to be brought under control. We uh, learned about a methodology called variety effectiveness and we are ready to commit. So we're going to kick off on February the 22nd. And our goal is this. By December the 31st, we'll reduce our parts inventory by 40%, production processes by 30%, and control points or those administrative supports by 25%. Very, very ambitious. Our company is committing substantial time and money, and we need your help. Working together, our designs will improve, our internal systems will become streamlined, and our customers will be happier, and our profits will improve. So this is what he said. He kicked it off. There was a lot, a lot of learning, a lot of learning. So the next step after you kind of say, okay, we're going to do this, I want to tell you about what teams are involved. And and this is just the way we do it. This is if you were doing deep dive. So you're going to have eight teams. 
They have different functions. So listen, listen to this. You have a kind of steering team that sets up the other teams and provides the leadership, the direction, or the support for the overall project. Either senior management serves on it or there's a direct connection. Okay. This team will also review and coordinate the reduction recommendations from the other teams that I'm going to name in a second. And they will finalize that. So you have a kind of border control there. You have a, an oversight. So that's the kind of top umbrella team. The second team is the policy team. Again, we talked about this in the last show when we talked about policy triggers. And their job is to, this is a separate team, identify, identify, review, and revise company policies and practices, the formal and the informal ones, so that they support positive variety and avoid triggering negative variety. So they're going to focus on policy. There's another team, team number three, that is going to look at the marketing. They're going to identify reduction opportunities in the company's existing product or service offerings that don't endanger the company's market position. They're going to, in a sense, say, you can look at this group, but we're not sure about that group. Leave that alone. And you need to have that. You need to have sales and marketing um, telling you where the sensitive issues are and what is up and not up for grabs. And you go through a cycle of that, and you can gradually start moving into the sacred cows, but don't begin with the sacred cows. So you have a market analysis team. You have a product structure analysis team. And that team looks at opportunities on model-specific parts, structures, subassemblies across all product lines based on the analysis of the product architecture. What can we reduce? So you have a market analysis team, you have a product analysis team, product structure, you have a policy analysis team, you have a part type analysis team. Here we go with the parts classification system. They're going to be working on this, validating or upgrading it, developing attribute templates, and identifying opportunities for reducing, for reduction in parts commodities across the entire parts universe. And I, I'm going to go into some detail uh, later on on the show to give you a sense of what that might sound like. So we've got those four analysis teams. We're now going to have a control points analysis team. These are the people who look after the transactions, paper and electronic, that support design, procurement, sorting, marketing, scheduling, inspection, blah, blah, blah. And you would be wise. So those are six teams. The seventh team that I like to see is what's called an early victories team. The job of this team is to simply find the parts, processes, anything that has low or no resistance to change and reduce those within the first 90 days to reduce those. In one of the companies, they reduced a 1,000 parts in the first 90 days because they went after just the easy stuff. They cut across all the teams. Any kind of, any kind of uh, opportunity for reduction, they're going to grab it. They can give anybody else the credit. That's fine. But they're going to go after it and do those easy, easy wins, low-hanging fruit. Because you know what? We have to keep our spirits up. We have to say, wow, this is such a long haul. And we got nothing. And we ain't got nothing to show for it. 
Well, the job of this team is to have something to show for it, keep everybody peppy. And the eighth team is an education and methods team. They're the ones who make sure that people understand, and they assist teams in using and understanding and adapting the VEP method, and they promote involvement and publicize successes. Okay? Now, I didn't discuss a production analysis team that would be looking at reducing of, uh, of production processes. I, I haven't mentioned this in the framework, but you certainly can include a group like that. So basically, uh, what you're doing is you're setting up these teams, and now you're going to give them two sets of tools or methods. One set is going to be called, is called the six VEP analysis tools. And I'm going to, I'll walk you through a couple of those after the break. And then the other is how do you apply it? Uh, there's something that I came up with that's called the three view analysis, where one view is looking at the market, another view is the product structure, and another is the part type. And this is really the heart of the process. And I want to just kind of walk you through this. After the break, we're going into a break in just a moment. But the main thing I want you to get, and I'm saying it again, is that all functions are involved and this is not easy. It has to be systematic. It's very thorough. Even when you're doing a select process as compared to a deep dive approach, it really is a lot to hold on to. I mean, in a way, I believe that Looking at variety effectiveness is the kind of big bear of them all, is the big approach. And that until that gets cleaned up, all of the work that you're doing, including with Six Sigma, lean and visual, is just kind of pasted on this big bear, this big growly bear that's ready to eat everything in sight because it it, 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 it's negative variety. It's out of control. Maybe it's a bull in a china shop. Or maybe it's a very hungry shark. Hmm? But it's scary and it needs to be approached with care. So today we're talking about methodology. You can't, this is not a just do it event. <laughs> very, very few things are just do it. All right. See you after the break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. 
Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hey there. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back. We are in our final uh, kind of informational or instructional show on Smart Simple Design. This is the sixth of the series. We've been going since the beginning of September. And this is a book that I wrote in 1994 that we're going to be republishing later on this year. That's about decomplicating the organization by simplifying the product architecture, the marketing architecture, the negative variety, reducing customer-pushed variety, the negative variety, the complexity, the congestion, and promoting customer-pulled variety, the positive variety, the kind of variety the customer wants to buy. So I'm going to share with you a little scary figure that a uh, very smart guy down in Florida, his name is William Hyde, he runs a kind of design company down in Florida, and he shared this with me many years ago. <clears throat> At the time that that company had done a survey of more than 500 companies, and uh, based on the survey, they discovered that the average cost of putting a single new part into production, this is just a part, this is not a product, ranged anywhere between $400 for a single part, $400 to $40,000 to introduce a new part into the system. And the average was somewhere around $4,000 per part. And this is a big part, little park. Hmm? And not only that, but they also discovered that that new part, that there was a 1 in 11 chance that that new part already had a part in the system that was tooled and produced in a very, very similar way. And a 1 in 29 odds that the new part was an an exact duplicate. An exact duplicate. Mm -hmm. So I know that uh, you know, that I know, that this classification system that I mentioned at the beginning is really important and it's also really important that when you introduce a new part that you really put the total cost to it not just what it costs to purchase it or the materials cost but the function cost the variety cost the true cost is assigned to it because you need to get scared you need to really get scared (laughs) 
when you do begin, when you are selecting a product starting point to determine what you're going to analyze, you need to take some care too. You need to come up with a criteria for determining where are we going to do our analysis, this thing that I call the three-view analysis. It's a pivotal decision. Of all of our product lines, and again, marketing your marketing lines, you can approach it that way, which one will give us the most bang and the biggest return for our analysis buck? To answer that question, you need to think about two things. What is the systematic procedure for determining this, and what's a good selection criteria, something that is relevant and valid for our organization? Where should we begin to look for reduction opportunities? Where do we begin this analysis? Okay? So the qualifying procedure, in a nutshell, for selecting and prioritizing what is the, what is the product series where we're going to begin, is the starting point of all the analysis. And it's very simple. Here are the three simple steps. If you want to take this on, you can just do this without even committing to the VEP process just so that you can see if something pops up as being most important. Develop assessment criteria and a weighting formula. A weighting. W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. A weighting formula for determining which series in the product universe will provide the biggest return. And then apply that criteria and formula to each product series and arrive at a kind of rank order based on those individual scores. And then you designate as the single product focus the one with the highest score. Okay? So you can develop your criteria based on structural complexity or ratio of dedicated to shared parts, for example. You can develop a criteria like that, or you can develop a criteria based on the quantity of shipped units or the number of required dyes and fixtures. Hmm? You might also include in your criteria a marketing, um, a marketing um, criterion, which would be the level of revenue contribution. You can brainstorm a list of those factors and then... Once you have a brainstorm list up, you, members of the group can just rank order them based on their own preferences and understanding and then discuss the individual preferences and arrive at a consensus appeared down list of criteria. But you got to do something to help you understand why did you decide to begin your analysis right there and right then. Okay? And we recommend, I recommend that you go through this kind of qualifying process even if a priority product has been pre-selected, even if your company is uh, pursuing a very select and narrow focus. Because even if you know which of your product lines are most qualified, going through the qualifying process will help you document your thinking and the logic by which you made your choice. And secondly, in doing so, you may, you may well revisit your key issues and find that you need to adjust your preset choice one way or another. And only a systematic approach to this selection will help you do so. 
And finally, if you do need to go to management for approval or added resources, this qualifying process will help you substantiate and validate your thinking and your need, especially in the realm of marketing and sales factors. So I want you to think about that. Okay, let's go over the six VAT tools. I like these tools. Some of them you already know, but some of them I I think it's kind of put together in a way that's very useful. You basically are doing two things with these six tools. These six tools will help you answer two questions. Does this product or part represent or marketing offering represent effective or ineffective variety? And if ineffective, how can that ineffectiveness be eliminated or minimized? So the six so-called VAT tools are, V-A-T, VAT tools, their tools of inquiry are, VAT one is unique versus shared, and I want to go into that one with some detail. The second is modularity. The third is multifunctionality and synthesis, and this is basically DFM and DFMA that you already know, including ease of assembly. And that's VAT number four is ease of assembly. And VAT five is range and VAT six is trend. These are really interesting tools. I'm not going to be able to go over them all in detail, but I think this will kind of suggest a good approach. So let's look at unique versus shared. The first question is, is the part under scrutiny and let's just say it's going to be a part, or is the um, market offering, okay, under scrutiny, unique or shared? Is it, if it's a part, unique to a given model, or is it shared with another or several other models? The next question is, if the part is shared, can it be shared more widely? That is, can it be further further commonized or standardized to serve yet another product structure? That is, if the part is shared. If the part is unique and another word for unique is dedicated, then the questioning continues, why? Can we share the specifications more widely with at least one other product? Can we? So if the part is already shared, used in several uh, models, we apply some or all of the other VAT tools to determine if it can be further commonized. And if it is dedicated or unique, kind of like a variable part, then we need to ascertain if the reason for this specialness is valid. Is it a dedicated element because of a specific customer demand or is it the result of an inefficiency or or an anomaly, a mistake in the company's internal process. We need to find out if the variation is customer-driven or internally triggered, positive or negative. So that's the focus of the unique versus shared. Since shared parts means fewer parts, it also means fewer layers of parts reordering, material handling, incoming inspection, counting. So we're automatically reducing all the ratios when we seek to share and for for us to know when it's shared. For VAT, for this first tool to work, it's magic. All parts must be examined. 
on the model and the product series level. No matter how low its intrinsic value, in other words, what the cost, costs six cents, it's just as important if it costs 26 cents or $26. You don't let any individual part escape. This is scrutinizing it. When a so-called unique element is found, then you question its status. Does it have to be unique? Why? Okay. So that, and, and let me see, I think that I will also, um, talk to you about modularity because modularity is kind of, um, the other extreme of unique versus shared. In modularity, the perspective, when you, we're using the second tool, modularity, the perspective shifts from individual and isolated parts to groups of parts or sub-assemblies. The part now takes on meaning because it is connected within a product environment. So the second tool, modularity, looks at the relationship that parts have with each other within a product and later on across products, how parts mate. And what we're looking at here is a link between standardization and interchangeability. To what extent can subassemblies or given sets of parts be standardized into units or modules so it can be used in several products? To what extent can assorted modules be further standardized so they can be interchangeable across more products? And to what extent can product structures be developed so they can accommodate standard modules or an assortment of modules? So we're capitalizing on increased levels of commonized parts. Hmm? This is very important. You can do exactly the same thing with your marketing offerings. You can look at ways to bring commonality into those and to unitize. Believe me, from the customer's point of view, from my point of view, I would love that. I don't want endless variety. When I see endless variety, I get blind. I just want what I want <laughs> and make it easy for me. Sort the universe. This is a term that I use in, in visuality. Help me see. Help me see the connection. Help me see the difference, but group things first. Okay? So we're going uh, into our um, uh, a break now. We'll, we'll complete our final section at the in a moment. I want to talk a moment about the three-view analysis so you can get a little taste about how the analysis works on a deeper level. And then we will say a few things about some of the successes that other companies have already had with this technique and see if um, this becomes uh, clearer to you. So I'll see you in just a minute. Thank you so much. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. 
Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, everyone. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome back to the final segment of the Visual Workplace, and today we are in our final segment of Smart Simple Design, and I want to talk to you about this three-view analysis. I just gave you a sense of the two, two of the six tools. One was unique versus share, and the other was modularity, to give you a taste of how these tools help you think in a very specific way about the variety. So, for example, in, in the so-called three-view analysis, we are looking at... Um, the company offerings from three different views. One of them is going to be the market view. Another one's going to be the product view. And the third is going to be the parts view. So in the first view, the market analysis, we seek to understand what from the marketing perspective makes the company products different. What specific customer requirements or niche characteristics or features or elements or functions differentiate one product or product line from another? And as these differences surface, we ask that first question, which I think is pivotal, unique versus square, <laughs> unique versus shared. Does the customer really need or want this difference? That is, is it a customer-driven variation or internally triggered? If there is no valid customer requirement, then we apply the other VAT tools, the ones I mentioned before, in an effort to get rid of that difference. If there is a legitimate customer expectation, then we move to the question, is there some less unique or differentiated way to meet that same expectation? And so we proceed and we apply those other tools. At the the conclusion of market analysis, the company will catalog almost always fewer products or exactly the same number, but they will be validated. If they're the same number, they'll be validated. You'll know why they are. Distinction between products will be validated through analysis. They will be cleaner and clearer and more profitable. Overlaps will be removed, slight or non-required differentiation will be blended, and internal variety will be supported. Product lines might be minimized, okay? So that that's such an important view, and it brings marketing and sales into the improvement process, into the waste reduction process. 
View two is product structure analysis. Product structure analysis looks at, in order to understand and improve, the way that product function requirements are fulfilled through the structure of the product, through diverse parts and components, so that you have a viable, integrated, profitable unit called a product. Similar to the market view, this analysis approach begins by identifying how products are currently configured, how they're put together, and ends by recommending changes that streamline and strengthen this. The examination takes place on the model level, focusing on the way that parts mate and the way components are configured and the structural or, if you will, geometric basis for differing part values. Okay, this is a very diligent application of those six tools so that your product becomes less costly and less complex. This is really looking at the architectural logic by which company products are developed as a population and very, very specifically. So that's the second view, product structure view. The third view is part type analysis. This is my favorite because you're going to look to minimize the total number of different individual parts of the company across the board. The focus is on the part type, the extent to which the attribute values vary within each part. Common parts including fasteners and housing and trim and handles, the stuff that costs nothing, these commodity parts. Parts Type analysis and is, is an aggressive examination of that single question. Do we really need another part for gosh sakes? If there are 6,000 different fasteners, do we really need 6,001? And if there are 6,000 different fasteners, we ask that question, do we need this fastener 6,000 times? Hmm? If 50% of the housings have built-in brackets, 30% have no brackets and the remaining 30% use, I should say the remaining 20% use 12 different kinds of brackets. We, we find out why. Okay. If the reasons can be found and validated by stakeholders, the customers, the engineers, approval agencies, the variations stay. But if there are no good reasons, they go. The same goes for those 17 different sorts of door hinges. So that's the job of part type analysis. And at the conclusion, well, many parts can certainly be eliminated. And there will be a wider appreciation of part type economies. So this three view analysis comes out of the recognition that triggers and causes of negative variety are multiple and they are also hard to trace. But they can be more easily identified through a systematic process of inquiry, which is the triple lens of this analysis. That's the way we discover the redundancy. It's very exciting. Do customers really need this difference is the basic question, whether it's marketing, product type, or parts. Do customers really need this difference? And we apply the six tools to that. So, you know, it's been over 20 years since I wrote this book, but this revisitation in talking to you about this has been exciting for me. 
I thought I was going to do one or two shows, but as I got into it, I thought, oh my goodness, this is so important. Because what we're talking about is designing for the product line, designing the market, the part, the product, the service for the bottom line. I don't know who said this, but I love the quote. Many companies pay for their products twice, once in the development phase and again in the level of complexity they add to their systems. Organizations are complex organisms. They're complex where there are so many independent elements interacting in this mishmash we call work. Thousands of individual acts, discrete transactions, and they can, these transactions can either weave a rich and successful tapestry of collective effort or a strangling web of complicated minutiae and organizational congestion. Organizations are flexible and they are also adaptive. They can learn. We can learn. It will take work. It will take work. One of the companies, the company that actually was the basis for my book, reduced their parts first at 20% and then 60% fewer parts in their older products. 60% fewer parts in their older products. HP reduced its time from 70 to 33 days in a product, I beg your pardon, Chrysler, in a product development cycle. On the brink of insolvency. So this is possible. I want to encourage you to consider this. You guys do such great work in JIT, in Lean, even in Visual and Six Sigma. But you have to eventually go to the mother load. You have to go to the source of what you're streamlining, what you're so good at, what your eyesight is improving so amazingly about. Train that eyesight, that intelligence through a systematic methodology on the, on the core, on the source of this, on the variety. Is it negative? Is it positive? Is a customer pulled or do we push it? So I want to thank you very much for listening and for listening to this series. I hope you look forward to the republication of my book. I never, I decided only when I was talking to you to do that, but I think it'll be good. And I really appreciate your listening. We'll get back to the visual workplace next week and we'll see what happens next. Thank you so much for listening. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth and I'm signing off. Thank you. We appreciate your joining us this week for the visual workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.